0: This morning we are continuing our series of the book of Judges, and this is perhaps the shortest text we will see in the entire series. We're looking at Judges chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, and this is the first um, judge that we behold in the book of Judges. The introductions have passed, and now we are introduced to the Judges. The judges we're going to be upholding is Othniel today. So Judges chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. You can follow along in your bulletin or in your Bible. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and Asheroth. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of cushan Rishiatham, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served cushan Resiathim eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them, Othniel, the son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother. The spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave cushan Resiathim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over cushan Resiathim. So the land had rest 40 years." Then Othniel, the son of Canaz, died. Shortly before my first child was born, Kimberly and I wanted to invest in a good camera so that we had pictures of our son and we wanted crystal clear pictures. Perhaps you can relate to this. And so Christmas, before our January due date, we received a Canon SL1. We were over the moon. Now alongside with this camera, my brother-in-law provided this booklet that was this big, I never cracked the cover, but this book gave you the right order of how to do things. If I must admit, I was incredibly overwhelmed. All I wanted to do was take a picture of my son. That's it. And here I had this incredible camera that can do all sorts of things and take pictures that you'd hang over your fireplace and sell to people, and yet I had no clue what to do. I was incredibly overwhelmed by all the details of aperture, ISO, and all of these things. I don't, that's as far as I know. And we took a few pictures with it, but soon enough that camera ended up in our closet collecting dust because we went back to the basic iPhone camera. It was far easier. I say this story because I think it is a picture of the way the Christian faith can be to a lot of people. I mean, you, 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 you might enter into the Christian faith and there's a lot of excitement and it's like, oh, we just, this is so great and it's so good and it's easy and then you start talking to Christians and then you listen to sermons of Christians and you said, what was that word that they just said? And, and what are these people talking about? I have no idea what the word superlapsarian means. I have no idea what justification or uh, these words, they're so big And what can happen is you just kind of quit, kind of the way I did with my camera. This is too much. This is too much. Maybe you're not a Christian, and maybe you're just entering into this church, and you're, you're just trying to wrap your mind around these things, and certainly that is something that is tempting for you. You can come in and be like, I don't know what these words mean. I don't know. I'm just trying to wrap my head around it so that I might understand why people are so passionate about the Christian faith. And and these words might be so, so difficult for you to grasp over that you just quit, quit, quit. I don't want you to quit, and I don't want you to give up. And in order for you to not give up or quit, it's really important to go back to the basics, to have clarity on what the basics of the Christian faith is. And, and with, you know, it's, it sounds weird, but the book of Judges, chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, is the most basic story in the entire book of Judges. And, and, and if I were to, to, to paint you a picture, this text right here gives us the exact same step and process for the Christian faith. It is so simple, it's back to the basics. It's simple for the book of Judges and it's simple for the Christian faith. And what I'm gonna do this morning is we're gonna study this simple little story that we might get back to the basics so that those of you that might be overwhelmed by these words that are being said, that you might continue to press on. And that those of you that are curious about the Christian faith might know with great clarity what the Christian faith is all about. So it's really easy. The basics of the Christian faith, the message, the basic message of the Christian faith really just has two messages. One's bad, one's good. We're gonna look at the bad news and we're gonna look at the good news. You'll see this in the book of Judges, you'll see this in the Christian life. So let's go, let's check out the first, the bad news. The bad news, what is the bad news? The bad news is this, all humans sin. All humans sin. Sin is defined as this, disobeying God's command disobeying God's command. So all humans disobey God's commands. God has given commands, and we can look to like the Ten Commandments, and if you break them, guess what? That's a sin, it's really simple. Now look with, look with me at Judges 3-7, and look with the people of God, the people that God had redeemed out of Israel, the people that had received the very law that God had said, this is what you should do to follow me. Look at what the people of God are doing In chapter 3, verse 7, they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God, and they served the Baals and the Asheroth. The Baals and the Asheroth, you have no idea. That's okay. These are the gods of the culture which they lived in. They were the gods of Moab, of Canaan, of Philistia, of Midian. These are what they were. The Israelites came into this Area. They had left Egypt and they'd wandered in the wilderness and they came into Canaan and they interacted with a group of people who worshipped the Baals and the asherah And what did these Israelites do? They began to bow down to the Baals and asherah If you know anything of the Ten Commandments, you know that the first four commandments always deal with worship of God. And yet here we have the very people of God worshipping other gods. This is a basic principle uh, of Judges, that the Israelites have sinned. And if the Israelites have sinned, then we've all sinned. If the people of God have sinned, the ones who have received the law have sinned, so too have all people. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament said this, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is the basic truth of the Christian faith. And it's also the basic truth here in the book of Judges. But before we move on and, and, and look at, at the second aspect of the bad news, I wanna press this a little bit for you so that you know, it's not just you know, theoretical that all people sin. I wanna press in a little bit that you might recognize that you sin. Go back to the Israelites. What are they ultimately guilty of doing? They're worshiping other gods. This is also known as idolatry. Idolatry is the worshiping of other gods than the one true God. They did this for a reason. Asherah, let's just take the word Asherah. Asherah was a fertility goddess in Canaan. If you know anything about ancient Near East culture, one of the things, especially for women, that was so vital to women in this period of time was to give birth and to give birth to particularly a son. I mean, you could go all the way back into the book of Genesis as you look back and you, you see the angst of Sarah. You see the angst in, in, in Samuel, of Hannah, Samuel's mother. There was just this angst of, 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 of being barren. I mean, we, we know this in our culture. Uh, I don't know this personally, but I, if, if a woman is barren and can't have birth, there is a lot of turmoil that goes in in, in the life and the psyche of a woman. But put this into a context where, va- where you're only valued if you have children. So there's this desperation, this pain, and what is an Asherah? It's a fertility goddess. So put yourself in the shoes of a woman who can't give birth. Aren't you tempted to worship a fertility goddess? Who if you give to them, according to the cultures around you, you will be blessed with a child? Here we have the temptation of sin. It's right before us, it's before all of us, and we can bow down to worship anything so that we get exactly what we want. You know, I don't think any of us set out to just sin. I'm just gonna thumb my nose at God. That's what we're gonna do. No, most of us deal with life and the circumstances of life, and we say to ourselves, I'm gonna do it the way that I think can be done. I'm gonna take control of this situation so that I might find relief in myself. But friends, this is sin. We worship ourselves, or we worship what we think is wise rather than what God has. So can you relate to this? Can you relate to what you worship? Well, all sinned. This is the truth of you. So the bad news begins with this truth, that all sin, all people sin, but there's a second second characteristic of the bad news. Not only that all sin, but that sin has consequences. All sin and sin has consequences. Consider the consequence of Israel's sin in verse eight. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rashiatham, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Cushan Rashiatham for eight years. I want you to see this. There's two parts of their sin, the consequence of their sin. The first is the anger of God is kindled against Israel, and secondly, they became enslaved to the king of Mesopotamia. Two consequences of their sins. Now, I'll tell you, there's more consequences to sin than just these two. But these are are very good pictures of the consequence of sin. If you're like, eh, I don't really sin. Well, maybe you can relate to these two. Maybe not. I don't know. But let's look at these two characteristics of the consequences of sin. First, the anger of God. The anger of God is definitely out of fashion today. We don't like to think of it. But here it is, right here in the scriptures. It's real and it's before us. God hates sin, and this hatred of sin manifests itself in anger, but it's a righteous anger. It's righteous, and therefore should strike fear in us. Just as a child is struck by the anger of their parents when doing something wrong, so too should we with the anger of God. But we must not look at this as some bad thing, as if God can't control his anger. God is angry because he hates sin. He is opposed to it because it's not in his nature. He's holy and righteousness. But he also hates it because sin brings death and destruction. As Paul says in Romans, the wages of sin is death. God comes to give life. But sin comes to bring death, and he hates it. And his anger towards sin is real and it's righteous and it's actually good. And here we have in the book of Judges God being angry, righteously angry at the at the sin of Israel. Do you know that God hates your sin too? And that God can well up with anger for that. To those of you that are not Christian, What will you make of your life before God if you were to stand before him? His anger and wrath, which I would argue is righteous and just, they are proper. Why do you not deserve that anger and wrath if you have sinned? This should humble us. His anger and his wrath are meant for us. Do you know that? The anger of God is righteous and just. This is one of the first consequences of sin, the anger of God. But there's a second one, enslavement. Enslavement. We don't know much of the enslavement of the Israelites during this period. It's admittedly very short and to the point. But we do have a few details, and I would say that there's three, roughly three details of their enslavement that I wanna bring before you. The first is this, that God is the one who brought the enslavement upon Israel. His just anger Brought them into slavery. It says that God sold them into slavery. And I would say to you that this is certainly a part of God's plan. And if we want to think about anger in such a harsh way, what I want you to think about is that he's actually disciplining them the way that a good parent would discipline their child, even though they might be angry, he's disciplining them. So he sells them into slavery. And secondly, what we learn about their slavery is this. They're sold to a king named Kushan Resiathim. Now, I had to really focus on saying that name, Kushan Rishyathem, but that name is very significant. Kushan Rishyathem in Hebrew means this, doubly wicked. So if you were to read the the original Hebrew, what it would read is actually, here is a doubly wicked man from the double rivers. This is what Mesopotamia is. Mesopotamia is the place where the Tigris and the Euphrates are. This is modern-day Iraq. And so they had this kind of like phrase. These Jews were using this phrase of this Kushan Resiathem, this doubly wicked man from the double rivers. That's what they did. So we think about this. Here's this doubly wicked man who's enslaving them that God has sold them into and they're enslaved for eight years. They're, They're enslaved by a doubly wicked man for eight years. The last thing that we see The last detail we give is that the Israelites cry out. That the oppression of this doubly wicked man from the double rivers of Mesopotamia is so severe and so significant that they cry out. Their enslavement was so harsh for them that they were crushed. And they cried out. This, my friends, is the result of sin in all of our lives. You know that, right? That the consequences of sin not only bring the anger of God, but it also brings the enslavement of that sin in your life. And that you will never, ever be able to shake it in your own power and strength. You'll just continually live in this cycle of the consequences of your sin, and you do not have the power to break your enslavement. I never thought that I would break from the enslavement of an early childhood sin pattern of my life. But by God's grace, he did, but let me share what that sin pattern was. At a young age, I was very successful at playing soccer in my city. I, I was able to garner great accolades and and um, attaboys from coaches and parents. I was the champion, Mayor's Cup champion. I was wonderful, a soccer player, and I basked in how good I was. But then when I turned 12 or 13 years old, puberty hit in, and all these other people started getting bigger, faster and stronger than me. And I remember one game, I ran to the corner, and my dad was standing right there, and I was already feeling the pain of, of not being good enough anymore. I had sold my soul to just you know, my, my standards based off of how good I am. And my dad looked at me and goes, "Come on, Dan, try a little harder." And I flipped and I started screaming at my dad. I ran to the sidelines. I started weeping and I didn't know how to do it. And soon enough I quit soccer because I couldn't find an identity in soccer and guess what? I picked up golf. And the same thing happened in golf once again. I got really good, really fast, found an identity, but then I started hitting walls again. And this pattern of enslavement based off of my success in what I did, it was crushing me. See, this is what happens to all of us in our sin is that it will enslave us and we don't have the power in and of ourselves to break it but by the grace of God. There's only one thing that we have in our enslavement. One thing, our cry. And that's exactly what Israel does. The bad news ends with this, that at the bottom, you have a cry And when that cry goes out, there is good news. I hope that you hit bottom, truly. I hope your sin and the pattern strikes you so much so that you're like, all I got is the cry, just like the Israelites. for that's what happened with them. They cried out. Now I want to turn from the bad news and now turn to the good news. And what we're going to see is the good news is this. God brings deliverance. God brings deliverance. And uh, I'll, let me note this in your bulletin because I know it's backwards. I changed this, and that's not Rachel's fault. This is me. But I want you to see that God brings deliverance through a deliverer from our consequences. So we we'll just flip those in your bulletin for those of you that like to take notes. God brings deliverance through a deliverer from our consequences. Look at verse 9. After hearing the cry of Israel, what happens? The Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel. The Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel. I want you to see this. The Lord is the one that does it. When we're on rock bottom, when the Israelites are crying out because they're doubly wicked king over them, when they cry out, the Lord raised up a deliverer. And indeed, this is right in line with much of the story of the Bible. Like Jonah, when he's in the bottom of the fish, do you know what he says? Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is the truth, that when we hit rock bottom, the only one that can reach down and pick us up is the Lord, and this is what the Lord did. They cried out, and the Lord brought deliverance, but he brought deliverance through a deliverer. Now, who's our deliverer in this story? It's Othniel, I want you to see some of the unique characteristics of Othniel. First off, we aren't given many details of Othniel. All we have is that he's the younger brother of Caleb. Caleb? Who's Caleb? Well, Caleb was one of the mighty spies that Moses had sent out. And he said, I'm gonna fight. I'm gonna fight, let's go fight. We'll we'll take Canaan right now. Caleb is this righteous man. And so in being related to Caleb, there's a sense of righteousness in Othniel's perspective. More than that, in chapter one of the book of Judges, we're introduced to Othniel, and he is valiant, and he shows great courage and faith. And So here we have Othniel, this righteous man. And then I want you to see this in verse 10. Who went with Othniel and helped him judge? The spirit of the Lord was upon him. For those of you that know the New Testament and know, this word should indeed catch our attention. Othniel was a righteous man who was endowed with the Holy Spirit. This is just like Christ, who is righteous, who who was raised up by the Lord, who, who was like Othniel and walking in the spirit of the Lord. Othniel delivered the Jews out of Cushan Rashiatham's hand, so too does Jesus deliver the people of God from their sin. He is just like Othniel. Othniel is the type of the great deliverer, Jesus. God brings deliverance through a deliverer, and as Christians, our deliverer is Jesus. Now, the beautiful thing about our deliverer is that he doesn't just just leave us where we are in the bottom. No, he actually delivers us from sin's consequences. What did Othniel do for the Jews? He brought them victory over Cushan Resiathim. He said, You might have doubly wicked strength, but I'm going to deliver you from that. And the mighty hand of Othniel came in and knocked out Cushan Resiathim, and the people of Israel were free. And what we must see in this picture is that when God brings delivery, he brings delivery from enslavement. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Romans six. I'm gonna read this for you because you would see this with your own very eyes, how God himself brings delivery from our enslavement to sin. Romans six, verse six through 11, I'll read it. We know that our old self was crucified with him, that is Jesus, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing Sin no longer enslaves you. Go back to the story. What is it that delivered me from this incessant uh, cycle that I was going in of looking at, at whatever I was doing and saying, if I'm good, I will be accepted and, and, and right? And what is it that delivered me from that? It was Jesus who set me free, who said, it's not based off of you and what you do, it's based off of what Christ has done. And what Christ has done is taken your place, his righteousness, for your righteousness your sin on him. It was only when I began to understand that Jesus came to pay for my sin and to grant me his righteousness that I was free from this cycle of being enslaved to my own worth being rooted in what I did. When Jesus brings deliverance, he brings deliverance from our consequences, which is enslavement. But Jesus also brings deliverance from the anger of God. Now, some of you might be saying, how does Jesus bring deliverance from God's anger? The answer to this will include a big word. It's a big word, okay? It is. It's called propitiation. It's a word we don't talk about, we don't use, but it means anger being absorbed. Anger being absorbed. In Romans 3... Right after Paul has said all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, this is what Paul said. But are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now what does that mean? That means this, that when Jesus is hanging on the cross, the anger that God has towards sin, which is just and right and real, is placed onto Jesus. Jesus absorbed the anger of God towards sin, of your sin and of my sin. You see, when, when, when God provides a deliverer, he provides a deliverer from sin's consequences, from enslavement and from anger. Friends, this is the good news of the Christian faith. It's good news. That Jesus has come and brought us deliverance. Karl Barth was a Swiss Protestant theologian in the mid 20th century, and many consider him to be the most influential um, theologian of the 20th century. Barth spent a lot of time stressing the holy otherness of God over the man-centeredness of the liberal church of this time in in Europe and America. He focused on the centrality of the Trinity with the dynamic and rational structure of Christian dogmatics. Are you following along with me? His reappropriation of the Christology of the ancient church was incredibly influential in all churches in all ways, and he vigorously opposed the National Socialists of Germany. He was a man whose brain was bigger than this room. He was influential. And in 1962, he came to the United States to do a lecture on the University of Chicago. And as he finished with his lecture, he began a question and answer. And this brainiac theologian who can talk in all these words was asked this one question by a student at the University of Chicago. Could you summarize your life work in theology in one sentence? And Bart said, yes, I can. In the words of a song I learned at my mother's knee, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. One sentence. We got to get back to the basics, guys. And the basics include bad news and good news. And I would say this. The good news far outweighs the bad. Church, don't give up. It's really simple. It's a really simple message. If you're not in the church, don't quit. There's bad news and there's good news. It's a way for you to think about it. But I think Bart summarized it really well. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. There you go. Amen. Let me pray. Our gracious God, we give thanks for a simple story out of the book of Judges, one that does not contain a lot of color as some of the other stories in the book of Judges. But Before us, you've given us a picture of how you do indeed bring deliverance from our sin and from our enslavement, from the consequences of these sins. Lord, you indeed have brought us safely out of our enslavement through a deliverer. Indeed, we look to Jesus, the one who was foreshadowed in the man named Othniel, the one who was endowed by their spirit, who through his life, death, resurrection can bring us life and not death.